are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Thursday, October 22nd edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Today on the show, as promised, we got a couple days for some iTunes reviews to trickle in. Saw a whole bunch of them. That's terrific. We're going to tackle some of those today. But the first thing I'd like to do is kind of address the Dolphins' quarterback change this week from a different angle. I think it's important to acknowledge a couple things, uh, specifically about Ryan Fitzpatrick, the incumbent starter, who coming into the year uh, really earned a lot of sweat equity with the Dolphins with what he did last season and his role in this rebuild and the culture buy-in. And I saw a lot of... Jeez, I don't even know the right word for it. Angst against Ryan Fitzpatrick on social media yesterday for coming out and, and talking to the South Florida media during his press availability and being pretty candid about his emotions right now and how he's he felt like other than Buffalo, this was the team where he was totally bought in and, and he, he kind of felt like this was his team. And everybody knew that this change was going to happen, Right. But it'd be one thing if the Dolphins were 1-5 and and struggling to score points. For the Dolphins to be scoring points, 14th highest scoring offense in the NFL, and for the Dolphins to be 3-3, and and for Ryan Fitzpatrick to be 8-8 in his last 16 starts as the starting quarterback in the Miami Dolphins, yeah, this kind of comes out of left field, so yes, it still pulls the rug out from underneath of you. And I think every fan, every Dolphins fan, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, should be able to compartmentalize the change that's taking place and simultaneously be super excited for Tua Tungavaloa to take over as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, but also be sympathetic to Ryan Fitzpatrick and what he's feeling and the emotions that he's going through because he did give his heart and soul to the Dolphins for the games in which he served as the starting quarterback. And I got clowned on on social a little bit about that. And I don't really care. But when we look back at this, if the Dolphins end up going as a franchise where we'd all like to see them go, Tua Tungavello becomes a superstar quarterback at the NFL level. The Dolphins are an annual contender for the Super Bowl. They win championships. If all of those things materialize, will you remember that Ryan Fitzpatrick was one of the kickstarters of all the buy-in from all the players. You know, there was a meme that went around last year, and it was of Vince McMahon, the chairman of the World Wrestling Entertainment. Very memeable individual. And it was like a span of his emotions, and it's like tanking for Tua, uh, winning five games, winning five games and installing a positive culture and 
tanking for Tua, winning five games, installing a, a positive culture, and still drafting Tua Tagovailoa without having to trade up for him. And it's like this kind of like amplified excitement with every step of the box. Like every time you, you scroll down, it's like he's more excited. That's what happened for the Dolphins. They, they really hit reset and push send harder than anybody's ever sent a rebuild in my lifetime. They won five games with a team that some people after week one and week two were calling the worst team in the history of the NFL. Got the number five overall pick, still drafted their quarterback of choice. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was instrumental in the buy-in and of the evaluation of these players. Because if Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't come in and play with nothing to lose and gutless and fearless and lets it all hang out there and isn't fun as the starting quarterback of the Dolphins. Do we see Devontae Parker break out in year five? Do we see Mike Gusecki step forward in year two? If they just flipped the script and went to Rosen, and Rosen was what Rosen was for the games that we saw him, and they stayed that way the entirety of the year, where's this Dolphins organization right now? How much, how little progress would there be versus what we've actually seen? And that was kind of the ironic part is because I remember when the Dolphins signed Ryan Fitzpatrick's like, oh my God, this is the worst tanking quarterback you could possibly sign because he's going to win you a couple games. You have no business winning. But then you look at how it all happened and how it all transpired and like, I'm going to look at this chapter of the Dolphins as an organization And Ryan Fitzpatrick, yes, he's a career journeyman who's played 16 years and for eight different teams. And for every Fitz Magic game, there's a Fitz Tragic game as well. But he's always going to have a soft spot in my heart because what he allowed this team to do in the midst of their rebuild to put them in the position that they are in right now with all the buy-in from all the players and all the player development and how much fun it was to watch the Dolphins play football with Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. There were all these debates about Ryan Tannehill and Ryan Tannehill's merits as a starting quarterback in the NFL. When's the last time you had fun watching Ryan Tannehill play quarterback? Even when the Dolphins went 12-4 and in a 16-game stretch between Adam Gase's first and second year as the head coach of the team, which Ryan Tannehill didn't play in all those. Was it fun? Was it fun like it was watching Ryan Fitzpatrick run around like a madman, like a chicken with his head cut off, to lead the team in rushing last year? Was it fun like watching Fitzpatrick throw YOLO balls to Devontae Parker and Mike Kosecki against the Philadelphia Eagles? Was it fun like a two-minute drill to beat the Patriots? We committed a lot of time yesterday talking about Tua Tagovailoa, But for there to be pushback against Ryan Fitzpatrick to say, hey, my heart is heavy knowing that I lost this job, and this is this is a point of no return. I will not be the start of the Miami Dolphins again, barring an injury. This is a forever move. This is Tua's team now. My heart is heavy. For there to be pushback and angst and animosity against him sharing and wearing his heart on his sleeve, it's kind of silly to me. Because when you look at the big picture of what Ryan Fitzpatrick did, What Ryan Fitzpatrick did for the Dolphins as they hit reset and look to install a positive culture that is here right now. And they still get Tua. 
And they didn't have to trade up for him. They got a little lucky. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I think we should say thank you to Ryan Fitzpatrick and acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I can still be excited for Tua while simultaneously being sympathetic to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think we all should be. Yes, you know what he signed up for. But this did come a little out of left field. I was recording this on on Wednesday or Tuesday, Power to the Pod, and I said, man, I'd be totally stunned if they made a change right now. (laughs) They made a change an hour later, and we did an emergency podcast about it. Everyone knew it was coming, the writing was on the wall, but for it to happen now, with the Dolphins winning two consecutive games, it's a surprise. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is allowed to grieve that because he's given so much of himself to this organization over the last two years. And we should tip our caps to him, in my opinion. Thank him for that. And as this team moves forward from here, we should remember it. As corny as it sounds. Because what Ryan did, what Ryan was able to accomplish in the midst of everything else that the Dolphins had torn down to go 5-4 and four over your final nine games, to throw one less 300-yard passing performance in your last 11 games than we got in 48 games of Adam Gase as the head coach of the team. Pretty eye-opening numbers when you really stop and think about it. So I just wanted to kind of open today's show and say I'm as excited as anybody for the Tonga Valoa era. But I do feel for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I hope you do too. And I hope you don't forget his contributions to this Dolphins organization and this Dolphins rebuild as it moves forward from here. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the past 20 years. So whether you're looking for engine control modules, new carpet, motor oil, brake parts, whatever, for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything you need delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, prices are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. I feel a little better, personally. I penned this for Dolphins Wire yesterday. It was, thank you, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Wanted to get that off my chest. Because we're all amped up. Tungvaloa era is here. And there's a lot of different opinions out there about if this is the right time, what can go right, what can go wrong, whatever. At the end of the day... This was the choice the Dolphins made back in April. This is the choice the Dolphins are making now. This is a team that's going to be engineered to fit and be tailored to Tonga Vailoa. We spoke yesterday about what the offense is going to look like. If you missed that, go back, check that out. I do want to make sure I leave plenty of time for your Twitter questions. But before we do, another interesting storyline. The Miami Dolphins held a tryout this week for former second-round pick Malik McDowell of the Seattle Seahawks. McDowell was a second-round pick, the 35th overall selection 
in the 2017 NFL Draft by Seattle after a very successful career with the Michigan State Spartans program. But McDowell has never played a snap in the NFL. Between the draft and the start of training camp his rookie season in 2017, McDowell suffered injuries from an ATV accident that resulted in him missing the entirety of the season, and then he endured a long string of off-the-field issues, which ultimately prompted from him being cut from the team, having to serve a suspension from the NFL without being rostered by a team, and eventually an 11-month incarceration for off-the-field issues. He's recently looking to get his life back in order, and the Dolphins are kicking the tires there. What's interesting to me about this is, no, it's not a surprise that the Dolphins are willing to take low-risk, high-reward opportunities uh, for troubled players. They did this last year with Mark Walton, the running back from Cincinnati, who was arrested three times over the course of the offseason ahead of the 2019 season. Dolphins brought him in. Eventually, NFL handed down a four-game suspension that he had to serve. And whilst on that four-game suspension, he punched a woman pregnant, five months pregnant with his child. Dolphins immediately cut him, cut ties. Unfortunately, all you can do as the organization is give that player a chance, if they're talented, to get their life in order. And you could try to offer infrastructure and support around them to make sure that they are making good decisions. You can't help and reach everybody or protect them from themselves from making bad decisions that are harmful to not just themselves, but more importantly, harmful to others, which is what we saw be the case with Mark Walton. And Mark obviously needed some help to put himself in a proper state of mind to avoid making those kinds of decisions. And that was not the kind of help that a football organization was going to be able to provide him, so they parted ways. It will be interesting to see if the Dolphins do further pursue Malik McDowell. We at least know there is a receptiveness there based on how they handle Mark Walton to being open to helping players who perhaps need a little bit more support. This isn't a one-size-fits-all proposition. Uh, This is not something the Dolphins should be bringing in a bunch of people who have questionable off-the-field decision-making, like Antonio Brown is a great example. When you make a decision to pursue Antonio Brown, as example, and Antonio Brown's getting ready to finish his eight-game suspension he's currently serving from the NFL, and then he will be eligible to sign with the team. And based on the Dolphins' interest in Le'Veon Bell, based on the Dolphins kicking the tires on a troubled-off-the-field individual in Malik McDowell, inevitably this question will come up. The Seattle Seahawks are one of the teams that are reportedly interested in signing Antonio Brown. I'd imagine the Baltimore Ravens are probably another. The Dolphins should not be in that bucket based on where they are as a team. The reward that Antonio Brown can get you as a contender is to put you over the top and win you a Super Bowl. Dolphins, super young team, a bunch of impressionable players. This is not taking a low-risk flyer on somebody with troubled off-the-field issues like Malik McDowell. This is bringing in a much stronger, more prominent identity into your locker room. Malik McDowell at least fits the mold for the Dolphins because he's a young player. He's a physically talented young player who financially will not cost a lot of money. These are kind of some of the, the boxes that the Dolphins have to, have checked in the past in order to bring troubled 
people onto the roster. So from my point of view, my perspective, uh, I would be interested in trying to give Malik McDowell an opportunity if the, if the Dolphins coaching staff and, and front office felt like it was a fit. Uh, but that's the difference for me with a troubled player off the field like Malik McDowell and a troubled player off the field like Antonio Brown. I just don't feel like Antonio Brown, what he's going to provide and where he's at in his life and his career on top of the football implications doesn't make him a good fit for the Dolphins. Time for some iTunes questions. Uh, first one comes from Dio Shaw. Topic is Ryan Fitzpatrick. This question was submitted over a week ago, uh, but it's still quite pertinent relative to the situation we find ourselves in now. Could you see Brian Flores trying to keep Ryan Fitzpatrick on the coaching staff in some capacity when he's done playing? Yes, I absolutely think Fitzpatrick has a career in coaching if he wants it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Ryan tries to take a little time to spend with his family. I know he's got a very big family. And I know what he's been doing to make it work in Miami has involved a lot of time away from that family. So to answer your question, Dio Shaw, yes, I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick has the potential to serve a coaching role. And I'm sure the Dolphins would love to have him. Uh, the question is, is he ready to continue his football career in a non-playing way, in a way that will continue to command so much uh, time investment from him versus spending some time with his family. Uh, so that's kind of how I see that dilemma for the Dolphins uh, as far as selling that opportunity to Fitz. Uh, Vincent Forever. Quick draft comment. Asking about interior defensive linemen. This is all so relevant because the Dolphins are kicking tires on guys like Malik McDowell and Dalen Mack, who was in for trial earlier this week. Uh, Christian, Marbor, uh, Christian Barmore, who's a defensive tackle from Alabama. Would he be a fit for the Dolphins, or would you go with the nose tackle from LSU, Tyler Shelvin? I think the Dolphins have enough juice uh, with the, the ends, uh, the B-gap defenders between Wilkins and Sealer, and I think Raekwon Davis can play that role fairly well. I would want uh, Barmore is more of a one-gap player, where Shelvin, I think, is a better fit for the Dolphins as far as being a true nose tackle, a guy who is going to two-gap stack centers and be able to shuck the block and, and get into either adjacent gap. Uh, what's the issue with Jordan Howard? This from Al Dolphin on Friday. Listening to you since day one, and you've made the podcast the best. Thank you. Uh, my question for you is this. I'm glad we passed on Le'Veon Bell. However, what is the issue with Jordan Howard? Four years in the league, would one would think he has plenty of tread left on the tires. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, the Dolphins clearly thought so too, right? Otherwise, why would you sign him to such a, a prominent contract, a two-year, $10 million deal? Um, he's never been a super twitchy runner. I, I think some of the issues fall into Jordan and some of the issues fall into the offensive line. So Armando Soguero reporting that Jordan's not very happy with being a healthy scratch for two consecutive weeks. And, and to be honest with you, if I signed a two-year $10 million deal and I was 24, 25 years old and not dressing for games, I'd probably be a little frustrated too. I get it. Uh, but the Dolphins' offensive line, I've said for a couple weeks now, in my opinion— they're better at first contact than they are sustaining plays. And because Jordan's never been a really twitchy dude, 
being able to, he's got to anticipate that gap being present for him way before it's actually available to him because they'll hit, they'll strike, they'll create that opening. And then by the time he sees it, presses to it and tries to get through it, it will close because they don't sustain their blocks. So I think that's why any back that you're projecting for the Dolphins, I do think they want big backs. I think they would like a bigger back. I think Miles Gaskin is probably ideally your your pass catching back, as evidenced by how often he's touching the ball in the passing game. But you'd like an early down back with more burst and explosiveness to him. So I look at a guy like Najee Harris from Alabama. And not just because he plays in the Alabama system and has played with Tua, but like that kind of back, he's a big dude. But he's much more dynamic than what Jordan Howard is. So that's kind of, as the Dolphins, and this will expand the free agency as well as far as who gets paid, who doesn't get paid. We've seen a lot of running back contracts that have been paid out. Look for height, weight, speed blends for the Dolphins uh, with instincts. Obviously, Kalen Balazs was a height, weight, speed guy, but had no instincts and, and obviously has not seen his NFL career go the way uh, he probably would have liked. So I think I think the mix with Jordan on the field is a mix of Jordan issues and also other personnel issues uh, that, that makes it a really challenging issue for the Dolphins to circumvent. Jay Halvosa. If you're a Dolphins fan, Locked On Fins is must-listen. Thank you. Power to the pod question. Minka Fitzpatrick while in Miami and Isaiah Simmons with the Cardinals. It seems like teams should be drafting players more scheme-specific instead of trying to fit Swiss Army athletes into their system and finding they don't really have a role. It seems the Dolphins sort of did this when drafting the offensive line. We picked up Austin Jackson at 18 and Robert Hunt at 39. As a draft expert, I was... Wondering your take as we watch a guy like Isaiah Simmons not getting play time because they have no role. Uh, for proper credit, this came from Bucky Brooks on Move the Sticks. Value your opinion as always. Yeah, Bucky's great. So is DJ. Move the Sticks is a terrific resource. Uh, for anybody who's a draft Nick or, or enjoys that team-building component, uh, specifically as it pertains to Isaiah Simmons, I know there's some concerns there that he was a chess piece that was kind of moved all over the place. And, and we talked about how that would be really attractive for Isaiah Simmons in Miami with Brian Flores as a potential draft selection and obviously going to Arizona. I don't think Arizona has shown a lot of creativity. They draft another one of these guys in Hassan Reddick, who was an edge guy at Temple. He was supposed to move off the ball. Then they have some edge guys get hurt, and then they put him back at edge, and then he's back off the ball, and he's rushing off the edge again. It's like you got to let a guy like that develop because he was he started in the secondary at Temple. He went C level, B level, up to A level, and then Arizona moved him back to B level, midseason moved him back to A level, then he was back to B level. Like you got to let a guy simmer and master something first. Another good this is as you make it relevant to the Dolphins, really interesting. Um Kyle Van Noy was like this as well in Detroit. Believe it or not, I don't know if you guys remember Van Noy initially coming into the league, but Drafted early, Detroit had no idea what to do with him. Uh, they tried to just put him into an individual role uh, instead of moving him around. So I think it's it, it goes on a case-by-case basis. Uh, the Dolphins are a team that I think have enough shapelessness to them. They coach concepts instead of positions uh, that 
And, and that's kind of why the Dolphins took Minka Fitzpatrick and were investing so much of his time into bag drills when he was in Miami because they wanted him to be a more positionless player. Um, so there, there's no real easy answer here, unfortunately, as far as every team's a little different. I do think the Dolphins are a team that would probably have more success with Isaiah Simmons than what the Cardinals have shown early on because they're more willing to teach a concept and let him go execute the concept, whether he's lined up at Sam linebacker or strong safety or he's in the nickel, whatever. Um, but that that's a really nuanced, it's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of nuance to that, unfortunately, that makes it difficult to, to kind of pinpoint unless you're talking, as you said, case-by-case case per team for specific roles, case-by-case case per specific team for ideologies. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because these passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi is made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Got some time left here. We got probably five minutes or so. So we're going to make sure we zip through enough as many of these iTunes questions as possible. Uh, this one from KDude89, season ticket holder. Congrats. It's terrific. This came in on Sunday. Uh, loved the result of the game against the Jets, but I was noticing something you pointed out a lot about Fitz doesn't get off that first read. Gasecki wasn't used at all. Uh, do you think Tua should have played a little more than just the last set of downs? No, he goes on to ask. This question was filed before the, the quarterback change was asked. So he was asked if... if we need to make a change at quarterback and no, I don't, I don't think necessarily it's super important to, you know, go back and retrospectively wish he would have got more snaps in the jets game. Uh, Brian Flores was very clear that this is an all encompassing evaluation between everything from practice and meetings and install and walkthroughs and games themselves and on the sidelines during like he's gotten the mental reps and at, at some point with the good quarterbacks, Right, and if if two is as good as we think he is, those kinds of quarterbacks don't need physical reps to come in and and execute at a high level. They have it, whatever it is. The Dolphins feel like Tua has it, and now that he's had the mental reps for an extra six weeks to master some of the concepts, and now the Dolphins could say, okay, we're going to take these concepts that are mastered from our offense, and we're going to add this on top of it, which is what you're already naturally good at. I think that's that's the key. That's the key. Uh, Dylan, I want to shout you out because you uh, did ask if it was concerning uh, that we only converted one-third down against the Jets and it was the quarterback to do so after Ryan Fitzpatrick was taken out of the game. Uh, I, I don't want to make too much of the, the third downs against the Jets uh, because, as I said on Monday's show, we were clearly in a mentality of we're going to try and run the ball, we're going to try and milk the clock not do anything stupid. Uh, I, I do think there was a glass ceiling over some components of this offense, and the Dolphins clearly felt so as well. They made a change. Uh, I was willing to live with the glass ceiling based on the Dolphins' performance on the field, but Brian Flores scared money don't make money. Oh, and he's making a change because he thinks that the floor with Tua can surpass the ceiling of Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
And time will tell if he's right. But, you know, the Dolphins as an organization very clearly feel some kind of way about Tungabaloa and what he's capable of. And that's why they're making this change. Uh, Jay Feld. Man, you left a review. You didn't give me a question. I always appreciate the reviews. Little love to Travis Wingfield, who was here before me on here on Locked on Dolphins. Thank you for the review, Jay Feld. Uh, M Scout 99 question about Kaseki. Should we concerned? Should we be concerned about the lack of targets and involvement for Mike Kaseki? Uh, seems like Gailey isn't calling any plays to get him involved anymore. No. Um, obviously, he was quiet against the Jets. He had 91 receiving yards the week before. I think a lot of teams are going to look to take away the middle of the field. Um. Gusecki's going to be most impactful for you running the seam or running the corner out like he took against San Francisco. And it looked like they ran some kind of cover seven uh, on that play against San Francisco, uh, which outside corner is locked up one-on-one. They, they do that a lot against three-by-ones. Concept, it's from the Nick Saban tree of coaching. Uh, the cover seven stumps, dubby, all those different kinds of variations uh, for coverage. Is that, that's the coverage call where you lock up one-on-one, so the outside-most receiver is locked up by the outside-most corner, and then your safety, your nickel, and your linebacker to that trip side of the ball, they are all keying based on where the route releases come. It's called pattern matching and kind of cueing. So that corner route that Kaseki ran, uh, the safety that was sitting off was a little late, to get depth and therefore Gusecki got behind him. That's where he's going to be most impactful is corner routes, seam routes, the deep over route. Never really felt like the timing was right for the eyes of the quarterback when Fitz was in to meet Gusecki running the deep over. I thought he was open on the over route quite a bit. Uh, Just not an area that it seemed like Fitz wanted to go with the ball pretty frequently. And when he did, it kind of felt forced as evidenced by the over route that he ran down the red zone against the Jets. It should have been picked. Seattle and San Francisco ran a lot of too high stuff uh, against Gusecki and the Dolphins' passing offense. And and kind of a byproduct of that is you lose that corner route. That Think about that corner route that he ran against Jacksonville for the touchdown. Um, The corner route against San Francisco when they were not in a too high look. So uh, it's a lot of variables. uh, But we were coming into this year concerned of whether or not Kaseki was going to have any impact at all. Uh, He's he's had two really big games. And I think on a week-by-week basis, that's something about the Dolphins. I don't think if you're going to set an expectation of, oh, we want a a 1,200-yard receiver and we want a 1,200-yard rusher and we want a 12-sack-per-year guy, and the Dolphins are going to take what opposing defenses are going to give them and try and accentuate it to win. And teams, as of late, it feels like at least, have not been giving the Dolphins a lot of avenues for Mike Gusecki. And when the team's up three scores, which they were against both San Francisco and the Jets, there's no need to force it. There's no need to throw that fade ball in the slot and put it right on the top of defender's helmet and hope that Mike's going to win at the catch point when you're up by three scores. Big Zaddy Nick. Five stars from Virginia. Kyle, big fan of the show, though I don't agree with you 100% of the time. Uh, as a Dolphins fan, we clearly share the forward progression of this team. Yeah, and, and I don't expect you guys to agree with me 100% of the time, and that's okay. As long as we do so respectfully, right? There's plenty of room for civil discourse in this fan base. 
We all want the same thing at the end of the day. So I appreciate you acknowledging that you know, we don't have to fall in line 100% of the time, but we love the same thing, and that gives us that bond. Since we're only a game behind Buffalo and have a shot at the playoffs, who is an offensive and defensive guy we could or should target in a hypothetical trade scenario? I know you're not a huge fan of surrendering future assets. Having that said, I'd be interested in your choices. That's a great question. Um, let me see here. I would probably call in and, and check on Quinn and Williams for the Jets if they're going to be that foolhardy enough to say, hey, we're going to strip it down now. Quinnen hasn't really lived up to our expectations. We're probably going to move on. Hit the reset button. Da-da-da, Joe Douglas there didn't pick him. I'd explore it. I don't think it would ever get done. It's kind of the hard part about the trade deadline, right? Is there's like, there are certain positions that you're just you're never gonna. Tr- I'd be stunned. Watch, I'm gonna knock on wood again since I just did this on Tuesday. <laughs> I would be stunned if Matt Ryan got traded. They're talking about Falcons one and five. Matt Ryan getting traded. Yada yada yada. Who who's gonna, who's gonna trade for a quarterback in October? And expect that Matt Ryan is going to pick up an entirely new offense or the rest of your team is going to have to learn an entirely new offense mid-season to make a playoff push. Who's going to do that? Nobody. That, that's not feasible. So defensive linemen, wide receivers, running backs, linebackers are kind of like, okay, you can come in, you could step in, you could play a very, very clear role early on. Quinn Williams, you could be a pass rusher for us early on until you settle in the entire playbook. So I'd explore Cohen and Williams as kind of a bigger name. Uh, de- offensively, I'd look at backs, whether it's like Royce Freeman from uh, Denver, who's kind of caught behind Philip Lindsay and uh, Melvin Gordon, who has some off-the-field stuff that needs to get cleared up. Or Carrion Johnson in Detroit, who's stuck behind Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift, who just had a big breakout game. Like Those are the kind of guys that I would explore, personally. Somebody with a little bit more pop and juice to him. LT Spears left a question about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> I said, never mind. Never said I wanted to see his first game to be against Aaron Donald, but here we go about Tua, about a red shirt. So obviously that's been cleared up. Uh, fin, fins up. First, a comment that a question. You had shoot, huge shoes to fill after Travis and far ex- exceeded my expectations. Thanks and great podcast. Thank you. Question. What would you define as a successful first start for Tua against the Rams? Stat-wise, how else would you define a successful game for Tua? Uh, win would be my first place to start, Steve. It's a good question. For As far as statistics, I look at turnovers. Uh, I, I want to know how aggressive the team is. How far is the team willing to push the ball down the field? Are we going to run a bunch of the Alabama stuff with the bubbles and the, the shallow slants and the double slants where we're first window, second window, or are we running seams and, and you know deep over routes? He, he threw those balls really good at Alabama. So I, I want to see much more high frequency of RPOs. I want to know the yards per attempt. Uh, I want to be efficient in that area. Uh, seven and a half plus would be a good number as yards per attempt. I know you probably had more in mind yards, touchdowns. Center. I don't want any turnovers. And I want high yards per attempt. And I want to win. 
That for me is a successful first game for Tua. Last one, FinFan927. This came through on Tuesday. If I did not see, I'm sorry it's not showing up here on the iTunes reviews at this point in time. Do you think we'll see more Brita since him and Tua took a lot of the second team reps together in more RPO concepts? That's an interesting thought uh, that that he probably got significant practice reps with Brita. Uh, I think the next week, week and a half, is going to be really important for the install as far as who gets what share. But I will say if you are going to RPO and go zone concepts with your blocking schemes, you'll, you'd still be okay with Gaskin because you're not asking that guy to turn the corner. I think Breed has got a really good role waiting for him as the Dolphins put more of their Wildcat package together personally. Because the Dolphins will run inside zone because you don't want to run outside zone and run RPO. Reason being is you don't want to stretch those defenders into your throwing windows. So keep everything in the box, and then that way attack your throws at the hashes. So some stuff to think about, but some great questions from you guys. Really appreciate it, as always. Let us say thank you to Ryan Fitzpatrick today. Let us be excited for the Tua Tonga-Valoa era to begin next Sunday against the Rams. Tomorrow got a surprise for you so you're just gonna have to come back wait and see what it is hit subscribe keep it locked in right here on locked on dolphins thanks as always guys for listening